We're in John chapter 7, and we have come to a very familiar passage of Scripture in John. Now, if you remember, in these earlier parts of John, John is uh, telling us about Jesus, and of course, Jesus in dealing with these Pharisees, and and he is in, in uh, Jesus is kind of going back at them and actually taking what they're trying to do to Jesus. And uh, he's taking their own very words and he's turning them on the Pharisees. Matter of fact, they were bringing up the law. And Jesus then took the law, the very law that they worshipped and the very law that they believed. And Jesus then, they had a problem with him healing a man on the Sabbath day, if you remember, in John chapter 5. And so they were still mad that Jesus Christ would heal a man and break the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, but uh, they tried to bring up circumcision. And Jesus said, but what if a man, a, a boy or a child, a baby, would need circumcised on the Sabbath? Of course they would do that. He brought that out to them. And then he said, what you're doing is judging the outward, and I'm here to judge righteously the heart. And he says that in verse 24. He says, you're worried to judge not according to the appearance. So what you appears righteous, what's apparent to righteous or the law. And he said, but I've come to judge righteous judgment, but righteous judgment. So don't judge that way, judge the heart. Now, we go down to verse 25, and, and they're still in Jerusalem, and they're questioning some believing, some non-believing. matter of fact, in verse number 31, the Bible says, Many of the people believed on Him and said, When Christ cometh, will He do more miracles than these which this man hath done? But there was others there that sought to kill Him, that very Jesus, they were going to lay hands on him and literally kill him. By the way, that would have broke the law, but they didn't care about that. They wanted Jesus rid of. Look at verse 28. The Bible says, Then cried Jesus in the temple. He cried, not crying tears. He cried out loud. He cupped his hands and he, he cried this to them. He said this in a very loud voice in verse 28. Ye both know me. And ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. So Jesus literally yells that, or openly proclaims that, or heralds that in this public setting. Everybody heard verse number 28. Jesus then, in verse 32, the Pharisees hear this, and the people begin to murmur, such things concerning him. So now there's a, there, there's a lot of murmuring and a lot of noise and, and Jesus is the subject of the matter. And, and the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to again to take him. So they're going to arrest him and no doubt they're going to kill him. Look at verse 33. Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while am I with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. What's Jesus saying to these Pharisees? He said, I'm, I'm only here for a little while. I'm here on a mission. Luke 19.10, I'm here to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm only here for a little while, and, and when I leave, you're not going to be able to go where I go. I'm going back to my Father. That's what he's saying. Look at verse number 35, or in verse 34. Ye shall seek me, and shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, they're in a sarcastic way, whither will he go? that we should not find Him. Now, they're not thinking heaven. They're not thinking God because they hated that. They hated the fact that this man's saying he was sent from God. They hate the fact that he's saying that he is God. 
These Pharisees had a problem with that, so, so they're being sarcastic. I can just imagine them kind of rolling their eyes a little bit in this, and I'm not trying to be subject, subjective, but that's exactly what's going on here in verse 34 and 35. It says, Whither will he go that we shall not find him? Will he go unto the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? Is he going to go to those? And by the way, these Pharisees looked at Gentiles as dogs. They, they didn't want, they didn't, listen, a Gentile wasn't able to worship where they worshiped, right? So is he going to go to them, the off-scour? Is he going to go to where? The, yeah, I bet that's where he's going to go. Now notice verse 36. What manner of saying is this that he said, ye shall seek me. So they're still trying to dissect his words and, and try to wonder what he's trying to say. And shall not find me, and where I am thither ye cannot come. So they repeat what Jesus has said to them. It's like a, a puzzle to them, and they're trying to figure it out. And Jesus leaves them in their sarcasm. He leaves them in their questioning. He leaves them in their trying to answer. And He comes to verse 37. There's been thousands of messages preached out of John chapter 7 and verse 37. Look at it with me. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried. There he is again. He cried one time in verse 28, a loud voice. Here's another, that same word. He cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He lifted up his voice and said, If any man's thirsty, here I am. Come unto me and drink. The same thing he told that woman by the well in John chapter 4. If you'll drink of this water, you shall never thirst again. I just want to preach out of verse 37 and verse 38 for just a few minutes. These are worthy verses. And if, if, the, if preaching is the source in which we plug into to, for the power, the, the Word of God is the source, then each verse in our text is an outlet and when we plug into that outlet, there is power. And let me just say, verse 37 has a lot of power. Amen. It's a V8 engine. It'll, it'll take you somewhere. And I think that we ought to look at it for just a moment. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach these few verses this morning. And Lord, I believe this is a message for the thirsty. Those that would have a desire to have a satisfying drink, not from the world, but from the living well. And Lord, we thank Thee for what You've done for us already today and calling to remembrance a day that will be etched in our minds forever. And Lord, the sacrifice that was made 2,000 years ago on an old rugged cross for our sins, oh, it trumps every human sacrifice. Lord, for you're the one, the perfect lamb, the son of God, that your blood was what was shed in order for our sins to be paid for. And Lord, we're thankful for that. Now, Lord, I pray that as I preach this morning, you'll be high and lifted up. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. On the last day of the feast, if you notice in verse 37, Jesus gave an invitation for the lost to come to him for 
salvation. Now during the feast time, if you remember basically chapter 6 and chapter 7 is dealing a lot with the feast of tabernacles or the feast of the booths. And during this feast, a, a priest would come with a golden pitcher and a water filled with water from the pool of Shalom. And he would carry it to the temple where he would pour it at the base of the altar at the temple. And this would commemorate Exodus chapter 17 and verse number 6. Basically, uh, Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, like the desert, and they didn't have water. So you remember that Moses got water out of the rock there in Horeb, and it it watered the children of Israel. And and so this is kind of commemorating this special event that God did for Israel. And this practice that the priests would do with grabbing the golden pitcher and pouring it at the base of the altar was pointed to the future of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God as prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter number 12 and verse number 3, the Bible says, Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. He also said in Isaiah chapter 44 in verse number 3, For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. So Jesus is teaching at this particular time of living in abundant water and He emphasizes the inability of Judaism to satisfy the need of the soul. And may I say this this morning upon the authority of Scripture that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy your soul like Jesus Christ. Not the Baptist faith, not any type of money, not a preacher, not a relationship, not a career, not anything that you think, preacher, if I just had a million dollars, if I just married that girl, or if I just dated him, or if I just did this career, or if I just had that job, then this would bring satisfaction to my soul. My friend, listen, it may be a temporal thing. It may bring you joy for a little while, or happiness, or maybe alleviate some problems, but there is nothing like Jesus Christ. There is nothing that satisfies the longing in your soul. And he says that he will, anyone that comes to him, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. I want you to notice the first thing is the cry. The cry. Jesus stood and cried saying, Think about this. He stood and cried. That word cried, it comes from the word crazo, which means to call aloud or explain uh, uh, with a loud voice. And so Jesus, He shouts out this invitation and He tells them, it's very important by the way. Matter of fact, the word preaching, it it comes from the word heralding. The, The king's herald is what it means to preach. And in in the earlier days when a man would herald from the king... Not Harold, not Uncle Harold. You know what I'm talking about. Heralding, meaning you herald a, uh, the news. Some of you are thinking about your Uncle Harold, and, and I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about the heralding. And they would go in these early days, and they would go to the public square, and a man would come out and say, Hear ye, hear ye. And the town would stop. By decree of the king. And then he would give a decree. And he would proclaim it. He would cry. And the whole public would hear this proclamation from the king. He wasn't proclamating from some other person. It had to be from the king. Matter of fact, that's what we're doing this morning. I'm proclaiming from the king. Amen. I'm proclaiming the message from the king. So he cries it out. 
It's a message of importance that must, all must hear. We see the called, we see the cry, but we see the called. If any man, notice this in verse 37. If any man, notice the invitation for any man. Salvation is a universal message that extends to everyone. The gospel is for any man regardless. He said any man. He didn't say if some man. He didn't say if a few men. He didn't say the elect. He didn't say the predestined. He said, if any man, any color, any creed, any man, any class of people, any nationality, doesn't matter if you slept in a cardboard box last night, doesn't matter if you slept under a tree last night, doesn't matter if you slept in a mansion last night, any man that comes to me thirsty, I'll give him a drink. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 that Christ is not long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He also said, as I mentioned earlier in Luke 19.10, He's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And Jesus rejects no one who comes to Him for salvation. Matter of fact, we talked about that, I believe, in John chapter 6, where He said, if you'll come to Me, I will in no wise cast out. So anyone that comes to Jesus, He'll take you just as you are. Amen. All men are lost, and therefore Christ seeks all men. In the context of praying for the salvation of men in the Bible, Paul kind of writes this epistle to Timothy, the pastoral epistle. He writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4. He says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved. All men to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, scripturally and simply stated, God's will is that all men come for salvation. I think I'd get a few more amens in that. All men. All means all. All of you. In the South we say all y'all. I'm surprised it doesn't say that, but in the Southern vernacular that's what it says. All y'all come to the truth. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 6 that Jesus gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The word all simply means... All. Not some, but all. Jesus' death paid for the sins of all men. John said of Jesus in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 that He is the propitiation. He's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of all the world. According to some, God... Some believe this, that God predestined or elected some people to go to heaven and others to go to hell. And there's nothing that anyone can do about that. But my Bible declares that God so loved the world. I don't want that kind of teaching to creep into our church. And though I do believe in, a, in the sovereign of God, the, the sovereignty of God, and I believe that God knew before the foundation of the world, uh, it's not my job nor is it your job to determine who that is. It's the Spirit of God. So guess what? We just witness to all and let those who choose to come to Christ come. The lost, unfortunately, going to hell has nothing to do with the foreordination or the 
predestination election. Men have, have messed that up, and men go to hell because they exercise a free will or a choice. And I'll say a little bit more about that in the end. But God's desire is that all should come to repentance. Matter of fact, a few weeks ago I mentioned this in John chapter 6 and, and where sometimes this, this heavy, hyper-Calvinistic teaching comes into a church. And by the way, it'll kill a church. But I preached this and mentioned it and I was, I was amazed that some actually, and they're not members obviously, but some actually left upset that I would say that that is a wrong teaching. I believe all can come to Christ whether you like it or not. Here's the condition. Look at verse 37 with me, verse 37. The Bible says here that Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, notice that, if any man thirst, the invitation of Jesus has only one condition. Only one condition. The recipient must be thirsty. Nobody walking down the street just, oh, just got saved. Yeah, I just felt that. I accidentally bumped into Jesus and got saved. No, 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 no. There must be a thirst. He says, all that comes, notice in verse 37, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, nobody's going to wake up in heaven and be surprised. Nobody's going to say, oh, I made it. Boy, I was wondering if I was going... No, 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 no. Yeah, I think he did good enough to get there. I can't stand hearing that. I think he did good enough just getting to where he... He was just a good old boy, and I think he did good enough just getting there. No, Jesus is speaking of a thirst. And when a person is thirsty enough, he will do or she will do anything for a drink. Have you ever been that thirsty? Literally? Where you'd pay a lot of money for Deer Park water. I mean, that much. And by the way, that's enough to make me mad right there. I don't know who came up with that little size. Now, when you're like a little guy, that might be a lot. But when you're like me, I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, man, that's like barely a communion cup. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Barely a communion cup size, but I guess that does just enough. That right there, though, that would quench your thirst for a little while. Now, you should probably drink more water than this on a daily basis. Amen? Especially in the South Carolina heat. Uh, you lose that much in about three minutes. Amen? And, uh, but there has been times in my life, Brother Lee, that I would pay a pretty good amount of money for just that. I don't like being thirsty. I don't like what it, it, it parches my mouth. Matter of fact, my tongue. You ever been so thirsty that your tongue actually stuck to the roof of your mouth? I guess not. Some of you are like, wow. I'm telling you, I've been thirsty before. Almost borderline dehydrated. Probably already was. And especially after eating country ham. How many of you love country ham? Raise your hand. Country ham will dehydrate you. <laughs> Or think you're, you'll think you're dying. Or, or bacon. Now, I'm not talking about hotel bacon. I'm not talking about bacon that it, it just deteriorates in front of you. I'm talking about bacon where it looks like a pork chop. Thick. You can't see through it. And it's salty. So salty that when you bite into it, your blood pressure starts screaming. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Cholesterol. And you, you, you eat that and you're thinking, and I'm telling you, instantly a thirst comes. 
a thirst. Jesus said in John 7, 37, He said, He said this, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And when a person is thirsty enough, they'll do anything for it. You do anything for this. Sadly, most are satisfied with stagnant pools, mud holes. Jesus is speaking of a thirst for God. He said, in, and we sung about it earlier in Psalms 42. He said in verses 1 and 2, As the heart panteth for the water brooks, so panteth my soul for thee, O God. My heart should pant, the psalmist is saying, I should long after God like the water that a deer pants in the brooks. You would understand that we should have a longing for the Lord. Psalm 63 and verse number 1, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee, my flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. My life verse is Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 6. The Bible says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There needs to be a thirst for God. And by the way, there's application in this text to both the saved and the unsaved. You know, there's people that'll be saved and they'll accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but they start longing for the world. Then there's others who are lost without Christ and they've tried to be satisfied from every waterhole except the one that will satisfy eternally. Listen, if you're sitting in here today and you say, Pastor, I've... I've moved away from the water that quenches my thirst and I've started longing for the water in other places. My friend, can I ask you today, can I beg with you today to come back and take of the water that you'll never thirst again? If you're in here today and you're lost and you're searching for uh, a quenching, if you're thirsting for or searching for something that will quench your thirst and you're lost, quit looking for God in all the wrong places. And come to Him. He says this. Here's the change that, or the charge that takes place. Look with me in the latter part of verse 37. The Bible says this. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Let him come unto me and drink. All the lost have to do. Listen to me, church. All the lost has to do is to come and drink. People muddle around in the world looking for satisfaction. They will stay with one thing and they'll stay for a while and then they'll move on to something else and they're never satisfied. Religion never satisfies. The pleasures of this world will never satisfy. The deepest longings of a, of a needful soul when man uh, will never be satisfied by these temporal things. Only Christ can meet those needs. Only Christ can. So he issues this charge to man, let him come unto me. I was 13 years old as a teenage boy. My dad was a pastor, still a pastor of the same church, celebrating 40 years here very soon. My dad, uh, I grew up, I, I was not in, uh, I mean, I was literally, I was in the nursery all the way. I mean, I went to church my whole life, went to Christian school, uh, just grew up in a parsonage, literally right beside the church, basically my whole life. I knew nothing other than church life. 
I, was, I never was involved in the scars of addiction or, or the sins of some type of what we would call gross sin. I never knew anything about that. But at the age of 13 years old, I fell under conviction in my home. And the same Jesus that the drug addict needed, the same Jesus that the drunk needs, the same Jesus that the, maybe the, the person that struggles with immorality and, and all kinds of different sin is the same Jesus that I needed. And at 13 years of age, on a Monday night in my bedroom, I fell out of the bed there on my knees and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. Ran down the hallway and I said, Dad, Dad. He said, Son, what's wrong? It was late at night. And I said, Dad, I've, I've just did something. He said, What'd you do? And I said, I just asked Jesus to save my soul. Now listen, I'd already been baptized. I'd already, as a kid, I'd already kind of made a profession as a very small kid. And, but, but listen, I'd never taken a drink of that satisfying water. There may be somebody in here today that says, Pastor, I've, I've done all the dotting the I's and crossing the T's of Christianity, and I've done this and I've done that, but can I ask you this? Have you ever came to Jesus for a drink? If I were to come to you this morning and say, hey, tell me about your testimony, your salvation testimony. If you were to write it down, I wouldn't embarrass anybody. I'd obviously make you publicly stand up here unless you wanted to. I love testimonies, and we may do that sometime where people give their salvation testimony. I love that, but listen. And every salvation testimony is different. My salvation testimony, as I just gave it to you, may be different than your salvation testimony, but you better have a testimony. If your testimony says, uh, Pastor, uh, you know, I did this, I did this, and I, I'm, I'm doing this. Does it line up with what the Scripture says? What's the Scripture says? Well, the Bible says that we're all sinners. Have you ever came to a place in your life where you realize, I need Jesus Christ? There's none that doeth good. There's none that are righteous. No, not one. Not one. You say, Pastor, I know a good man. I guarantee that I'm preaching to some of the best people. You're, matter of fact, you're better than the 830 crowd. I'll just tell you that. That crowd, I really told them. We don't live stream there, so I can tell you this. No, I'm sorry. I should have done it the other way. Now they know. I'm, I'm, I love them too. They're watching. But I preach to some of the best people, and I mean this. We have some of the most generous, some of the most dedicated, faithful servants that God has ever made. Right here. You're privileged to attend a church. And I know, listen, I know what these people do behind the scenes. I've seen them worship when they, when they are broken. I've seen them go through hard times and still come out. Hey, these people are genuine and love the Lord. And I believe that. But can I tell you this? Even your dedication and your faithfulness can be empty when you're lacking Jesus. There better be something behind that testimony. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. What was the gift? It was Jesus Christ who we're preaching about through the Gospel of John. Jesus Christ was that gift given to us. Did we deserve that gift? No. 
But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Romans chapter 10 tells us that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I may upset a few people today, and I love baptizing. We're baptizing here soon. We've already baptized 41 people this year. I'm very thankful for that. But you know the baptistry waters have never washed away one sin. That thief on the cross, he couldn't get off the cross. His hands were nailed. That thief on the cross, he looked over at Christ. One thief mocked and laughed and jeered, and the other looked at Christ and believed. And Jesus said, Today, thou will be with me in paradise. Baptism has never washed any sins away, but it is a public profession. It is a good indicator. But Jesus said this, in John, in, uh, in, uh, Paul said this in Romans 10, 13, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, or I'm sorry, in, in Romans 10, 13, that if thou, whosoever call upon the name of the Lord, there we go, shall be safe, or whosoever. Aren't you glad that Jesus said all, and Paul said whosoever? That includes you. I'm a whosoever, and you are too. Do you have a testimony? Do you know you're saved? Have you ever taken a drink? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? You say, Pastor, I just happened to stumble in here today. No, you didn't just happen to stumble in here today. You're here for a reason. And your Bible knowledge, I'm proud of you. Do you say, Pastor, I know a lot of the Bible. I've been to seminary and I've done this. Hey, that's great. I love it. I praise the Lord for it. But let's lay all that aside. There'll be a lot of people who spend eternity away from the Lord who knew a lot of Bible. Let's just be real. Our enemy knows a lot of Bible. Have you ever tasted? Have you ever drank of that water? My, my plea with you today on this special day, Sunday, is that you will examine yourself, what Paul said, whether you be in the faith, do a hard examination this morning. Put all the other stuff aside in your mind and in your heart and say, Lord, am I your child? Am I your child? be a great day to be saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful to say I got saved on 9-11? Somebody told me out here on the, in the foyer, they said, uh, Pastor, my friend who I went to church with was a, was a security officer, a police detail. That's what it was. He was a police detail, and he actually, on 9-11-2001, was supposed to be in the towers that day. He lived up there, but he got sick. He got sick that day and called in and said, I'm not going to be able, and that's the day it happened. And that man, all his life, has been going around telling the testimony of how God spared him, and it was for a reason, a purpose. Can I say, uh, there's no better day to get saved than today. Now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation.